From the American Foreign Policy Council in Washington, D.C., I'm Michael Sobolik, fellow in Indo-Pacific Studies, and you're listening to Great Power Podcast. It's an inside look into a world increasingly defined by great powers like the United States and China and others like Russia. It's a forum where national security experts explore how these adversaries threaten the U.S. And it's also a hub for crafting strategies to protect the American people. This is episode 20, The Debate Over TikTok. Hello, everyone. Happy Thursday. It is we're, I guess, within striking distance of President's Day weekend here. I'm recording this in the afternoon in uh, on Capitol Hill in D.C. It is gray and rainy outside, so we are getting some weekend vibes before Friday has come and gone, but hope everyone's doing well. Uh, okay, so listen, um, there's a lot of action with China right now. There's been a lot of discussion about the China committee that Representative Mike Gallagher is heading up, and um, there's going to be a lot of conversations about China policy and Capitol Hill over the next few months. Uh, The committee is going to be really energetic. Uh, They're going to have a wide jurisdiction for hearings, for oversight, and one of those topics that Republicans and Democrats are focusing on and are really vocal and public in their concerns is TikTok. I'm, I'm going to venture a guess and suppose that nearly every single person listening to this podcast knows what TikTok is. If you don't, pause this, watch uh, a YouTube video about TikTok or something. Don't download it on your phone, but go on YouTube or read some articles about it, then come back and listen. Uh, I have never used TikTok. Let's start here. I have watched SNL spoofs about TikTok. My level of tech savviness is I am on the big social media stuff, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and I tried to use Snapchat a few years ago and it just stressed me out. So I just deleted it and haven't used it since. Some of you may not even know what Snapchat is. Others of you are probably super embarrassed for me that I'm not savvy enough to handle Snapchat. (laughs) But uh, listen, I I think with TikTok, it doesn't really matter that much whether you're on it or whether you're off it in the context of this policy conversation. Uh, It doesn't matter in the sense that non-users are familiar with the subject and we can engage in it. For the sake of your information security... Whether you're on TikTok or not matters a lot. We were talking about the most popular social media platform in the United States, TikTok, uh, that is owned by a Chinese company. There are documented instances of TikTok uh, acting in a way that would suggest that it is behaving at the behest and at the interests of a foreign actor, namely the Chinese Communist Party. 
we're going to get into some of that stuff in the conversation, so I'm not going to get too deep into it now. But uh, suffice it to say, the conversations about TikTok are serious. During the Trump administration, former President Donald Trump attempted uh uh, first, he tried to ban it, and then he tried to force a divestment to separate the U.S. operations of TikTok from its uh, Chinese parent company. All that got scuttled. The Biden administration is looking into this stuff again. Folks on Capitol Hill are making a lot of noise and raising lots of concerns about this. And it's more than just what's the app you have on your phone. This gets to questions about how do you secure your data not just for your own personal protection, but so you are not the target of foreign influence operations from an adversary. This gets into territory that I think most Americans know is important, but they don't spend too much time thinking about, because frankly, it gets really scary if you think about it for more than 10 seconds, how someone can manipulate your data against you. And if you zoom out, how a foreign actor could use metadata over thousands, tens of thousands of people uh, to mess with us, uh, to exploit our vulnerabilities. So we're going to get into this stuff today, all about TikTok, the debate that's happening right now, the security issues, and what we should do about it. And I have a guest on the show uh, that we had a fantastic conversation about this, and I'm excited to share it with you. Uh, his name is Rick Lane. Rick is a tech policy expert. Uh, he's the founder of Iggy Ventures, an advisory firm that gets into public policy and tech issues. But prior to uh, standing up and leading Iggy Ventures, Rick was the senior VP for government affairs at 21st Century Fox for like a decade and a half. He's been in the broadcasting business and the tech industry for a long time. And I was introduced to him recently via a mutual friend and had a great conversation with him about this issue and really wanted to pull him onto the podcast and get into the nuts and bolts of the TikTok debate. So it was a great conversation. Excited to share it uh, with each of you. And we'll append uh, his full biography in the show notes so you can get his full background if you dive into it. But with that table setting... Let's get into it. Rick, it is a pleasure to be speaking with you today. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. So, okay, we are talking about disinformation from the Chinese Communist Party, specifically in the form of TikTok. And it's interesting, this whole concept of you're being spied on every single day if you have a phone. That's not really new to anybody who has a smartphone. But man alive, this incident with this balloon that all of us were kind of staring up in the sky at for the better part of a week was this really odd moment where all of a sudden the whole country was talking about espionage from China. And it was this thing that some people saw it above their houses when they looked up. Everyone saw it on their TV sets, their social media feeds. It was interesting. One of the refrains that I kept on hearing from a lot of people and the pundit class who were talking about the balloon was, listen, if you think this is bad, just open your phone and look at the apps you have there. I guess in my conversation with you about this, let's start with if you have TikTok on your phone and you unlock your phone and you open the app, 
what you see are videos, you see the opportunity for you to participate in posting content and everything, but there's all this stuff happening on the back end. What are the vulnerabilities that users have the minute they open this thing on their phone? Well, that's really the question. You have a tremendous amount of vulnerabilities. It depends on what they have open, what they're allowing. Just because you didn't say okay to accessing your contacts, it doesn't mean that they can't. And so you're basically opening up your entire phone to TikTok when you download it. So some of the reporting that I've seen about this in terms of, listen, we know that TikTok is pulling data, much like other social media companies do. Sometimes they ask permission, sometimes they don't. The concerns that I'm seeing fall into a few buckets, and I'm going to get your take on this. Bucket number one is the amount of maybe keystroke memory that the app has on the searches you have inside of the app. I've seen reporting that if you have TikTok open, it goes beyond stuff like it's tracking your location or whatever. Like I've seen things that suggest it can actually track the contents of your phone outside of the app. But that's bucket number one is your data security risk. Bucket number two falls into the category of geopolitics. Like TikTok is not this entity unto itself. It is owned by a company called ByteDance. ByteDance is a Chinese company. And there are certain laws in the People's Republic of China that make them liable to turn over data and information whenever the party wants them to. I guess let's step back and maybe categorize the different types of risk and what you see are the biggest problems for people who are involved on this app. So you mentioned the first one, which is they can track you across platforms. And they can because all social networking sites can. I mean, think about Meta. Yeah, Meta goes from your phone to your device to websites between having cookies on your systems. But remember, every cell phone has a unique identifier in of itself. There are basically fingerprints of devices so they can tell which of your devices when you're going from point to point. And people are correct. That is nothing unique to TikTok. Meta does it. Google does it. All the social platforms are able to track you across platforms and devices. That's not new. And that's what TikTok and the Chinese government knows as well. It's allowed because of the way our U.S. laws are. We have free speech, First Amendment, don't have a general data privacy directive like they have in the EU, more sectoral in our privacy, so we don't have any real federal broad privacy laws here in the States. We're a capitalistic society, so people are making money on TikTok. So the Chinese ability to take advantage of all of our freedoms is what's making us vulnerable. And that's the dilemma we face in the United States. And so the collection and use of data is, people, as you mentioned, worried about a balloon flying over Montana, that was so visible to people, right? People saw that, they saw the balloon. What they don't see, because it has just been part of their lives, is what's happening underneath. The data that is flowing through the pipes into databases that could be going into hostile countries. So let's make this more concrete here. There's the possibility for the Chinese Communist Party to leverage their access to Americans' data via TikTok for their own geopolitical or political ambitions. Has this happened? Are there cases on record that we know of where this is not just a theoretical concern, but this is an actual concern? 
Well, one of the things that was interesting when the FBI director talked about TikTok and he was asked in a committee hearing about is TikTok a national security threat? And he said, I believe it is, but I can't tell you more unless we go into a classified meeting. Now, to me, that's like, so there are things that our government knows that is happening that is top secret, that comes under classified briefings with members of Congress who have to have classified clearances on that, right? So the fact that they can't say it, open dialogue, that should cause us all pause in these discussions. And it's interesting too, I've been astounded at some of the reporting that has been coming out by some of really incredibly enterprising journalists that have gotten some pretty salacious scoops about TikTok. I'm thinking of this one BuzzFeed article where somehow, I think it was Emily Baker White, she's now at Forbes, but she was at BuzzFeed at the time. And she somehow got these internal recordings from TikTok employees and the recordings exposed TikTok in the middle of a lie. Now, TikTok had said publicly, the Chinese government cannot access the data of American users on TikTok. All of that data is housed in servers in the United States. There's no way China can access it. But then in these recordings, like the exact opposite thing was revealed. There's already this underlying mistrust for Americans in big tech. So I feel like this conversation is kind of taking us into this direction of what do we do about TikTok? And obviously part of that gets into the broader big tech conversation. But can we maybe talk about, number one, the big global issue of big tech and then get to the specific issue of when we think about solutions here? Are there unique solutions to TikTok that are going to be different to our responses from Meta, Google, et cetera? Uh, or is it going to be this one size fits all thing? Like, I know you've done a lot of thinking about this. You've testified in Congress about this. What do we do with a company like TikTok in this situation? Well, I think we ban it, to be direct and blunt, because one of the strategies that I am seeing with TikTok is that they're saying, oh, we need to fix all these other problems. If you fix all these other problems of privacy and data collection and everything else, the problems of TikTok will go away. And that's just not true. TikTok in of itself is the problem. We do have privacy issues and big legislation moving forward, as I said, and broad federal privacy laws, but that's not going to solve our TikTok problem. TikTok, because it's based in China, has all these requirements from the Chinese Communist Party. They have a different regime and different goals than what we have here in the States. For example, if Meta is handing over information to the Communist Party of China, they're a U.S.-based company, and we have espionage laws here, and we can go to the executives and arrest them and put them in jail. What are we going to do when it's the Chinese government doing it? Are we going to go arrest Chinese nationals when they flee to China and say, oh, no, bring them back here because you had tapped into the TikTok databases? Now, think about this. If you have somebody who is a Chinese national embedded into Meta, stealing U.S. data and redirecting it, that's a crime. They're violating. What if it's the employee of ByteDance and they're doing it? Is it a crime in the U.S.? Yeah, but they don't have to be in the U.S. And this is the other thing that frustrates me in the conversation about data. They say, well, all the data is housed in the United States. Think about that or stored in the United States. But where has it flowed through? 
Now, I do know that most of the moderators for TikTok are based in the Philippines, which means that all the U.S. data is flowing through the Philippines for its content moderation. Where else is it flowing to? It may not be housed in the Philippines, but it's flowing through. And with data, you don't know how many places it's being replicated and flowing. So you have the ultimate, oh, yeah, we can point over here to Oracle servers that have all the data, but where did it go prior to? And it has gone through other countries. They have, as we know, moderators in Latin America, right, in South America. So obviously the data is flowing through South America, and we know that the Chinese Communist Party had balloons flying over South America, right? So all this data collection and where data is housed doesn't matter. As I said in my congressional testimony, my pictures are stored in the cloud. I don't know where, but I can access those pictures. I can download those pictures. I can share those pictures with friends, but they're housed in the Oracle server. It doesn't matter because it's where it's flowing to, and we don't know where the data is flowing internally. And the other thing that makes me concerned and why I think it has to be banned, they talk about, well, maybe a U.S. company can buy it. The question would be, there is millions and millions of lines of code in ByteDance's and TikTok's app, right? And is there a backdoor that allows, even if a U.S. company buys it and buys the application, can we really know that there isn't some type of backdoor that the data is still flowing out until it's too late? And we see and we know that from all the investigations of the FBI and others, we know that the Chinese Communist Party is already putting backdoors into other products like chips and other issues and other types of technology. Why would they leave? Like, oh, we're just going to hand over ByteDance to Microsoft and we'll sell it. It'll be a U.S. company and don't worry about it. You're all safe now. That's just not the case. And I know it's unfortunate that people are making a livelihood on TikTok and there's influencers and they're going to be really upset. But the reality is, it's a national security threat, and we need to address it as such. So much there. Number one, you brought up jurisdiction. It made me think of, I love the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, and it made me think of that scene in The Dark Knight where Batman literally goes to Hong Kong to extend the jurisdiction of American justice to this corrupt banker and that line from the Joker, Batman has no jurisdiction, but the United States actually <laughs> does. So like this issue that you're bringing up is very real. It's not the same as oversight on American tech companies that are here. This other thing that you mentioned is also super current because there are currently negotiations between TikTok and CFIUS, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, about what are we going to do? Because TikTok does not want to be banned. They have at least what, 100 million U.S. users right now, which is a significant portion of their global user base. So they want to keep it some way or another. And it's interesting, the model that they're currently negotiating with the Biden administration looks a lot like the model that the U.K. had with Huawei for their telecommunication. It was very similar. Huawei and Britain had this lab where Huawei would say, okay, look, you can see all of our components. You can see all of our hardware, all of our software for 4G and eventually for 5G systems. And you can certify yourself that nothing is wrong here. But we all know that number one, there were backdoors and like poorly written code in Huawei and their products. And number two, there were 
multiple opportunities to intercept data that was flowing from the edge of the network to the core of the network and back. You had U.S. officials flying to the U.K. warning them about this. And like it seems to be the same play all over again. Do you have a pulse or do you have thoughts on how you think these negotiations between TikTok U.S. and the administration are going to play out over the next few months? Well, it's interesting because it's taken so long to think about that with Scythius in this whole process. So that in of itself says a lot on how complex this is. And the other question I have is, who's going to pay for these monitors? Who's going to pay for the U.S. officials that are going to monitor all of this? I mean, are we really going to subsidize a Chinese company with U.S. investigators to make sure that they're not violating our national security? So the taxpayer now is going to pay for this monitoring. And then they say, well, TikTok will pay for it. But how much money? Is it unlimited? Are they going to cap it at a certain amount? So it becomes very messy in terms of that type of situation where they're creating a lab. I mean, coders are smart. They can hide code and you just don't know. And it looks fine, but if you're going through thousands and thousands or millions of lines of code, there's no way to really detect until it's too late. And so it ultimately comes down to having to ban TikTok from the U.S. market. They did it in India. And there hasn't been the outcry that TikTok said there would be. And they had millions of users as well in India. And people just migrated to another platform. So there is a precedent of what happens when you ban TikTok from an entire billion population in India. And so we can do it. It has been done and it should be done. So I've been really interested to ask you about this. TikTok's lobbying operations in the middle of this whole thing, because as we all know, in Washington, it's not just the direct negotiations between the government and the principal. These corporations will always use the backdoor to lobby as every single company worth their salt does. But for TikTok, it's a little different because of their foreign ownership. And for listeners, this is going to feel wonky right now, but we promise you this is very relevant because we're going to talk about different lobbying registration regimes in Washington, D.C. So if your eyes haven't glazed over, just bear with us here. So I used to be a Senate staffer and back in what, 2018, I think there was this groundswell of concern about this statute called the Foreign Agents Registration Act or FARA. And FARA is, in theory, a way for the United States to have more insight and oversight, I suppose, of foreign lobbying in Washington. But, Rick, as I know that you have talked about publicly before, TikTok US is not registered under FARA. It's registered under the less intense, lower scrutiny lobbying disclosure act or the LDA. This isn't unique to TikTok. Any corporation that can exploit that loophole will and does. But for listeners who are familiar of CCP malign influence, but just don't know much about lobbying, why does that difference matter so much? Why is FARA so important? And why do companies like TikTok try to skirt it so aggressively? Because the details required in a FARA filing is intense. So I'm old enough to have been around when there was no Lobbying Disclosure Act. And I used to actually have to do FARA filings for one of our foreign companies at the law firm I worked at. Because back then, if you were just a foreign company, you had to do FARA no matter what. 
And so when the LDA came in, they changed the rule to say that if you're a foreign corporation with no connection to a government, then you can file under the Lobbying Disclosure Act. And in simple terms, the Lobbying Disclosure Act just requires a company and individuals to file how much they spent, who they contacted, but in broad terms. So I contacted the House, I contacted the Senate, I contacted the Department of Commerce, and then listing who those lobbyists are under a definition that you spend 20% of your time lobbying and you have a certain number of contacts with staff, which is two, which is easy to do, as you know, in Washington, you know, just go to dinner and you contact two staffers. And so the threshold is to make sure that you are actually a lobbying entity and then you list the issues and it says specific issues. So I'm working on HR 2382, the federal privacy bill, or if I'm working on appropriations, it is appropriations for the Department of Commerce and their chip funding or something like that. You're supposed to be as specific as you can in your description, but it doesn't say who you have met with. It doesn't say how much you have spent on advertising. It doesn't say how much you spent on state and local lobbying and who you contacted there. So all these state fans, I'm guessing that TikTok has spent a lot of money in the states. It doesn't talk about third-party outreach. And so what you spent, for example, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce have a $10,000 membership. The chamber, the chamber sends you, we spend 50% of your money on lobbying. So you have to put $5,000 on your Lobbying Disclosure Act, and the other 5,000. But if I'm contacting, and we know that the CEO of TikTok had all these meetings with third-party groups they wrote about, there's a whole story on it, and all those groups that they're funding, if they are not technically engaged in lobbying, right, specific issues, they're a nonprofit, they're Electronic Frontier Foundation or others, they don't have to count that money as part of their lobbying activity. So the LDA only kind of gives you a snapshot of what is actually spent and a snapshot in broad terms of who you've met with, but it doesn't give you the details of how much you spent in terms of advertising. Like right now, TikTok is doing massive advertising on social networking sites, on websites, I don't know about you, but every time it seems like I open up my email, my Comcast email, there's a TikTok ad in there, don't ban TikTok. And so how much money are they spending on that does not get included in this calculation and what they spent it on. And then when you get into who they met with in detail, like I met with Congressman Smith, I met with the Department of Commerce, uh, you know, general counsel, I met with whoever, all these details. And that's why they don't want to file, because it will give so much more transparency to their influence campaign. And that's the whole part that is interesting, especially this, what they're doing in all of this, is that the big concerns, like people like myself, is that TikTok will be able to influence foreign policy, U.S. foreign policy, that is harmful to our U.S. national security. And here, they're proving it, right? If they win, they've proved our point that they influence U.S. foreign policy by TikTokers, by lobbying efforts, by advertising, by their prowess in the social networking side to influence U.S. foreign policy to the detriment of our national security. So this in and of itself is an example of what people like me are concerned about. If anyone here has a spare moment and, and wants to check this out themselves, the beauty of FARA is that everything is publicly available. 
none of this is proprietary. Any American can go online and look at this stuff. And if you do, two things will maybe stand out to you. One, which you already said, Rick, they say which offices they're going to and which staffers they're talking to about which meetings and what the asks were and all that stuff, which is and dates. great accountability. Do what? And dates. The dates. And dates the that's and, and that's crucial <laughs> because that's accountability, not just for the lobbyist and for the principal TikTok. It's accountability for congressional members also, because you can see where they're being influenced and how their positions, their votes are being influenced. The second thing that you'll also see in some of these FARA filings, oftentimes lobbying groups will pay people to publish an opinion piece in support of their client. And I have seen FARA filings where this op-ed published in mainstream outlets that appeared to be completely disinterested in just some one person's personal opinion was paid for by a lobbying firm representing a foreign entity. A lot of sunlight comes from FARA. So again, like when we talk about lobbying disclosures, this is why it matters. It's a huge deal. Rick, just maybe one or two more questions here. You mentioned the state level campaign in your remarks that a lot of state governments are banning TikTok for use on state devices. I feel like this is a great case study. And when there's a lot of energy behind an issue, but there's not consensus yet, a lot of government officials will do the best they can. Like banning TikTok on state devices is not a huge dent in the user base of TikTok. But could you talk about, in terms of like building a political campaign, how little incremental decisions, how that influences the national debate and public perception and public opinion on something like TikTok? Every time another governor bans TikTok, I've lost track of how many, I know it's in the dozens now, because of the concerns. It just highlights the fact that people who are in places of power in the U.S. are realizing this national security threat. And they're doing it at risk in the sense of TikTokers who can come after them. And you really haven't seen that. You haven't seen a bunch of TikTokers protesting at the governor's mansion because they banned TikTok off of the devices. And I think that in of itself shows that there is a broad support and a lack of interest by most people if TikTok is banned or not. And I think that helps here at the federal level of officials. I worked on SOPA PIPA, and I know how a misinformation campaign can push members who a piece of legislation is moving very quickly, and they hear all of a sudden they get all these calls and emails. And as one member said to me, you know, Rick, calls are a thousand to one against SOPA PIPA, and you're the one. <laughs> and you're the one supporting it. And then you find out later that you have 28 countries around the world that have done a SOPA PIPA and the internet didn't break. And so those things do resonate. So what we're trying to do is to show people, every time you see a governor doing that, that there is no political harm to the members who are standing up against foreign interests that may be a detriment to our national security. So I think that helps a lot. But I also think that it is helpful for U.S. individuals. There's a bill that has been introduced and in moving through the Commerce Committee that's like the Tell Act, you know, to know if there's a foreign national company that has hostile, you know, hostile regime to the U.S. if the products are coming from them. So it's sort of a disclosure. And people can then can make their own decision. But we know that sometimes people don't make good decisions in this case because, oh, I don't see the harm because they're not national security experts. And so legislation, I think, is really helpful. But I also think that ultimately we have to reach to ban TikTok in order to protect our national security. 
Final question for you. I think this was an, an opinion piece that you wrote about TikTok. And I think this was also in your congressional testimony in 2021. You made the observation that one of the reasons TikTok is so insidious is because it targets the most impressionable cross-section of Americans, which are young people. I almost wonder, when we talk about TikTok, it's part national security, but it's also this huge commentary on digital discernment for the American people, and particularly for young Americans. And in my line of China work, I've seen the CCP co-opt Western young internet influencers, many of which on TikTok, to spread their disinformation and frankly lies about there's no genocide of the Uyghurs in Xinjiang. And you've seen like Western TikTok people with big followings being co-opted into this stuff. What do you think about the state of the very online American young people right now? I feel like, sure, adults are susceptible to disinformation, and we've seen this in our own domestic politics, but there is something different about young adults and teenagers who are on the receiving end of this foreign influence operation. Beyond banning TikTok, what can we be doing to protect young Americans from being susceptible to this stuff? I volunteer my time for about 200 child safety groups across the country on tech policy related issues. So this is a broader issue of how to ensure the protection of kids online. It's not just foreign influence that we worry about, but it's CSAM, it's bullying, it's sextortion that is growing amongst especially young young boys, kids are committing suicide. You have the TikTok challenges. There's a whole host of issues related to that that is of concern. And there is legislation. You have the COSA legislation that is, has moved through Congress. You have the update of the Child Online Privacy Protection Act. And so there's a lot of movement around protecting children at a macro level. And this is just one of them. This is a component piece, but it's a, an important piece especially from when you have a social networking site that is controlled by a company that is based in China and has a political and policy agenda that is contrary to the U.S. interests. And again, that's why banning TikTok is really the only option. And then these other issues do need to be addressed. Well, I think we're going to see over the next few months how this thing plays out, because I think March is going to be where a lot of the hearings on the Hill start about this. So. We will see. But hey, for the meantime, this was a great conversation and I'm grateful for your generosity and sharing your time. Thanks so much, Rick. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a rating or review. To learn more about AFPC's research, visit us online at afpc.org. For questions or comments, you can reach me at greatpowerpod at afpc.org. I'm Michael Sobolik, and you've been listening to Great Power Podcast. We hope you'll join us again next time.